Welcome to Screw the Hierarchy, episode 119. This is your host, Deb Falzoy, and today is Quiz Day. We are going to test your knowledge of workers' rights in the U.S. Are you ready to dive into this? More after this. If you're a target of workplace abuse and want to break free of the grips of abusive power, you've found your place. I'm your host, Deb Falzoy, and the podcast begins now. Before I get started today, I want to talk about Patreon. I have a new Patreon account at patreon.com slash screw the hierarchy, and I have a really quick survey on there about what kind of rewards you'd like. Everything from early access to episodes, to exclusive episodes, behind the scenes content. So it is quiz time today. We are going to uh, test your knowledge today of workers' rights in the US. And I want to uh, get across here how few rights we have as workers. Um, And I'm hoping that that comes across in this quiz where there's 30 questions, um, six rounds here. I'm going to give you the answers pretty quickly so that you, you know, don't have to wait too long to find out um, the truth. Um, the There's going to be some entertainment questions thrown in here um, just to kind of convey how much we talk about these issues of workplace mistreatment um, in the media. So let's just dive into it. The first one is in the category of film. And I also want to say that they'll get they'll get harder. So I know that these first couple might be pretty easy here. Um, but in the category of film, which Hollywood film featuring a workplace bullying situation stars Meryl Streep as a powerful fashion magazine editor and Anne Hathaway as a college graduate who goes to New York and lands a job as a co-assistant? I wish I had some music to play here. Um, the answer, of course, is The Devil Wears Prada. And feel free to pause this if you want to think about it. Because um, I promise they will get harder. Number two, tactics. As shown in the movie Animal House with John Belushi, which bullying practice is frequently used in college fraternities? The answer is hazing. Number three, in stress. The fight or flight response is a typical response to stressful situations or in trauma. Name one of the two F words now commonly added to the list. And I believe there's a fifth one too, but we're just going to focus on these other two. Um, I'll give you a couple seconds here. The answer is freeze and fawn. So freeze includes depression, brain fog, hiding, um, fawn includes lack of boundaries and people pleasing fight, flight, freeze, and fawn are all typical trauma responses, or stress responses. Number four, this is in the category of general workers rights. And this one's a little bit tricky here. So I'm going to try to make this a little bit clear as I go. Um, so which of these practices is illegal in Massachusetts? A, An employer asking employees to waive their rights to basic lawful rights. B, discrimination against victims of domestic violence. C, asking a a potential employee their wage expectations. D, 
scheduling an hourly employee on back-to-back closing and opening shifts. E, all of the above are illegal. And F, none of the above are illegal. I'm going to pause for a second here. Um, give you a little time to digest which of those are illegal practices in Massachusetts. The answer is F, none of the above. So I'm going to break this down. Um, an employer asking employees to waive their rights to basic lawful rights is perfectly legal. It's um, an abusive waiver bill that is being put forth in Massachusetts and I believe some other states as well. So a lot of these issues are um are introduced in multiple states, um, but that's uh, that's the topic of abusive waivers. Um, B, discrimination against victims of domestic violence. That is perfectly legal. There is nothing protecting de- uh, victims of domestic violence in terms of being in a protected class category for discrimination. C, asking a potential employee their wage expectations. It became illegal in Massachusetts a couple of years ago um, to ask about wage history, but wage expectations is perfectly legal. And um, there is actually a bill being put forth around wage transparency, where it benefits both the employer and the employee to just disclose the the wage range up front um, and not not um, get into the person's background because wage expectations isn't really... Um, a huge step beyond asking somebody their wage history. I think you can kind of glean somebody's wage history um, by understanding what their wage expectations are to, to some extent, not not all the time. Some Sometimes people take a leap. Um, but when you are in, you know, in a ballpark of asking for your for wage expectations, that can still reinforce the gender wage gap. Um, so that is that is perfectly legal in Massachusetts and scheduling an hourly employee on back-to-back closing and opening shifts is also perfectly legal um that is uh there's a bill introduced around like four different points about scheduling in terms of advance notice that you have to give an hourly employee about their shifts um you know uh offering them up open shifts instead of um, a new, uh, you know, uh, trying to hire somebody new, all sorts of things like that. Um, four different points. It's called the Fair Work Week campaign, and that is around hourly employees. You can actually see some of these issues and more on endworkplaceabuse.com, and you can. Um, you're currently in the process of figuring out which states have which issues uh, that they're putting forth. Um, or you can help us investigate this information. And then we're trying to encourage people to take action around these issues because these are all forms of, of workplace abuse. These are all forms of abuse of power. So we are going to get at these issues. Um, so again, the answer was none of the above. We don't have any of those protections in Massachusetts. So number five, film. The organization that inspired the hit film 9 to 5 starring Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton originated in what state? give you a few seconds here of course there's a little theme um, to these couple of questions but the answer is Massachusetts so a group of Boston secretaries in the early 1970s known as nine to five had simple goals they wanted better pay 
more advancement opportunities, and an end to sexual harassment. Their unconventional approach attracted the press and shamed their bosses into change. Their story not only inspired the hit film, but also the 2019 documentary 9 to 5, The Story of a Movement, that is now available on Netflix. And if you are in Massachusetts, you'll see a lot of uh, Boston footage around the Common, the State House. It's it's really inspiring to see the story. I had no idea before a few years ago that that uh, there was a. I'm in Massachusetts, so there was that there was a local slash national story that uh, inspired that movie, which they talk about in in the documentary um so we'll just dive right into round two here question number eight also in the category of film what is the name of the 1940 british psychological thriller starring anton walbrook and diane winyard in which paul has his new wife believing she has she is losing her sanity doesn't seem like this is totally relevant but i promise you that it is um, the answer is gaslight. That's a term we use a lot when we talk about workplace bullying. So Paul lights gas lamps on their house's upper floors, which causes the rest of the lamps in the house to dim slightly. When his wife Bella comments on the lights dimming, he tells her that she is imagining things. Bella is persuaded that she is hearing noises, unaware that Paul enters the upper floors from the house next door. So this is what gaslighting is. It's it's persuading somebody that what they believe to be true is not true. Um, that it's you know has has them questioning their their reality, their perceptions, their beliefs, um, all stemming from this 1940 British psychological thriller called Gaslight. Um, question number seven in international law: What was the first country? to make bullying at work illegal. Give you a couple seconds to think about it here. The answer is Sweden. So in its 1993 ordinance concerning victimization at work, um, Sweden declared workplace bullying illegal. The Swedish law is comprehensive. It addresses a wide variety of forms of workplace bullying, and it places an affirmative preventative duty on employers. Employers are obligated to assure that work is organized in such a way as to prevent bullying behaviors from occurring. Sweden citizens rank as the seventh happiest in the world, according to the World Happiness Index. Number eight, sexual harassment law. In 1964, the U.S. declared sex discrimination illegal under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. In what year did the Supreme Court declare sexual harassment to be a form of sex discrimination? Maybe a few seconds here. Like, even if you get in the right decade, um, I think this this answer is is interesting. Um, the answer is 1986. So I, I was actually a kid when when we determined as a culture that. Um, sexual harassment was a form of sex discrimination. This is how much we push back on basic common sense um, issues in terms of the people in power who write the rules, write them to keep themselves in power. And I've said that numerous times in this podcast, but um, let me tell you a little bit about this. So it was 1986. 
in the Meritor Savings Bank versus Vincent case. So a bank teller complains that shortly after she was hired, her supervisor invited her out to dinner and then suggested that they go to a motel to have sexual relations. After resisting, she did surrender, but the Supreme Court affirmed that sexual harassment involving a hostile work environment is actionable under Title VII. Um, so number nine, the category being family and medical leave in what year was the family and medical leave act passed, giving employees the right to take leave from a company with 50 or more employees to take care for a newborn or newly adopted child. The answer is 1993 employees can take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave and to finish out this category here in the category or this round I should say in the category of film what 2019 film starring Julia Garner follows a day in the life of an assistant to a powerful executive this answer might be a little bit simpler than you think but you know with trivia we either know it or we don't um the answer is the assistant as Jane follows her daily routine she grows increasingly aware of the insidious abuse that threatens every aspect of her position. And if you watch the film, you can really feel like the, you can really, the, the, the feelings really get across, even though it feels like a movie that just drags in, in a way. Um, I think the, the way that it's done is really effective in, um, in conveying those emotions from Julia Garner's character. And just to add this in, um, I know that the Inventing Anna series on Netflix is kind of heavily promoted on there, but it's the same actress, um, the the one who plays Anna, I believe. I haven't actually seen it, but um, she is the same woman, Julia Garner, who plays the assistant in this 2019 film. Um, so round three... Question 11 in the category of at-will employment. So at-will employment means that an employer can terminate an employee for any reason except an illegal one or for no reason at all without incurring legal liability. So when we say an illegal one, that pretty much just means discrimination. You cannot discriminate against somebody, but you can um, terminate them for any other reason. So an employee is also free to leave a job at any time for any or no reason with no adverse legal consequences. Again, we call this at-will employment. This is different from right to work, which involves unions. Um, But which state is the only state to ban this practice? And I'm going to give you the answer in three, two, one. The answer is Montana. So at-will laws only apply during a probation period a standard six months unless otherwise established at the time of employment and at the end of that probationary period, Montana employers must have valid cause to terminate one's employment. This this law, I actually found out recently, has been around for decades. I want to say since like the 70s and this came out of the oil industry. So I'm not really sure the details on this, but this has been around for a while now and it has not been passed in any other state and this is what I understand to be kind of our baseline of rights so a lot of other countries work on employment contracts and that um, that gives us some safety as workers if we work under employment contracts to not have to be in fear of being um, wrongfully terminated or or um, 
construct constructively discharged um which means that which essentially just means being pushed out of the organization so um it it eliminates some of the power that our employers have over us when we ban at will employment um, I know that this has been introduced in Massachusetts. I do not know of other states, but that is something that we're going to look into and add to endworkplaceabuse.com. And you'll have an opportunity to email your legislators about that. If you're in Massachusetts, you can do that already at through that website, um, which we will have populated with a lot more information about um, bills that are being introduced in your state. And um, as we go through this quiz and you look at endworkplaceabuse.com and see what's being put forth in your state again, it might be actually fairly shocking to see what is illegal and what is not and what kind of rights we don't have as workers in the U.S. A lot of these are controlled by states individually, and there are some states that are much more progressive than others. Um, some of them may or may not be surprising. Um, Oregon, of course, being one of the most progressive, Washington State, Vermont. Um, I don't think those would be too shocking. But then also states like New Jersey and Maryland, um, those have some stronger workers' rights. And Massachusetts, where I am, is not one of those states. So um, we don't have as many rights here as as some of as people do as workers do in some of these other states so um yeah visit endworkplaceabuse.com and uh we will have there's an overview of some of these different issues and you can at a minimum for now look up you know the ones that you are most interested in to see on your state legislature website um if that is something that you already have protections on you could google the issue to see that as well, um, or if there is a law or a bill, I should say, being introduced in your state. And if there's not, you can, you know, take bill language. This is public information owned by the, you know, the public. Um, you can take information that may, or legislation that ha may have passed in one of the more progressive states, um, or, or wherever it may have passed, as we just learned, Montana is the only state to, to ban at-will employment. Um, and you can introduce it in your state. And uh, we will be there for you to help you uh, understand the legislative process and, and support you in any way we can. If you email info at endworkplaceabuse.com, um, you will reach out to me directly and uh, I can... I can talk through any way that we can support you. So moving on here to number 12 in the category of sexual harassment law. So Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. Which state also prohibits discrimination on the basis of height and weight? The answer is Michigan. Since 1976, the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act based civil rights on religion, race, color, national origin, age, sex, familial, familial status, marital status, and height and weight. And I know this, I've seen people testify on this issue in Massachusetts. I'd imagine that this is an issue that is being put forth in multiple states um, because it is an issue that people get discriminated on. 
Um, 13, non-disclosure agreements. Employers often use non-disclosure agreements to silence targets. In 2019, which state became the first to ban employers from using arbitration, non-disclosure, and confidential settlement agreements for all claims of discrimination, harassment, and retaliation? I actually kind of gave you a clue earlier, so... um, I'll give you a couple seconds here to think about this as I keep talking here. But the answer is New Jersey. It became the first state to ban this silencing tactic. I think around 12 states have some kind of, you know, on a spectrum, some kind of different protections around non-disclosure agreements, I will say, because I'm here in Massachusetts and I know what's being put forth here for workers' rights bills. But Massachusetts is not one of them. So uh, we have some we have a ways to go. This is a tool that serial abusers especially use to protect themselves um, or companies use to protect serial abusers, I should say. Um, And how, you know, I reason why it continues. So when somebody reports an issue um, and they they sue or they aim to sue and then they realize in the legal process that the only thing that they can really win against a company is money they often decide to reach a settlement before it ever gets to trial and usually um or quite often uh, lawyers will put into those settlement agreements a gag clause also known as non-disclosure a non-disclosure agreement which says that you cannot talk about Um, what happened to you you cannot talk about the settlement they will outline exactly what you cannot talk about Um, but in in exchange for the money so basically they are buying your silence and this is not to shame anyone who has taken a settlement we are all in different situations and in putting our health first um, sometimes taking that settlement is the absolute best thing we can do for ourselves but it also is a silencing tactic and we um we don't actually remove our right to advocate for um, people in, in situations that we have been in, um, but we do remove our right to talk about our own personal experiences. And I believe sometimes that can actually um, also include therapy. So it can also remove our or hinder our ability to heal. So that that's a, another danger of not banning these agreements. Um, number 14. In which state, this is the category of defamation. So in which state can performance evaluations be considered defamation? The answer is Virginia. So the Virginia Supreme Court has held that false statements of fact made maliciously in a performance evaluation may be the subject of a defamation claim. And this was in Highland versus Raytheon in 2009 that this was established. Um, We know from working on workplace bullying for years now at, at, you know, trying to pass workplace anti-bullying legislation, that performance evaluations are a pretty strong tool in starting a paper trail for employers to push somebody out of a company. And it's often with people who've been high performers for years. We saw this with Evan Zeifried with the Kroger situation in Ohio in Cincinnati or the Cincinnati area, um, where they used a, a, um, 
performance evaluation to start to um, push him out to replace him with a friend of the store manager in this lawsuit um, in claims in the lawsuit by the Zyfried family that's that's open right now in Ohio. So um, especially in relation to an audit that there were um, allegations of sabotage in that audit and um, they're a pretty powerful powerful weapon in um, in defaming an otherwise you know often like I said high, high, highly competent highly ethical employee and controlling the narrative because this is what this issue is all about is controlling that narrative so um, we're gonna close out this round here in the, the um, category of settlements so until what year were businesses able to write off monetary settlements related to sexual harassment or sexual abuse as tax deductions even while using a non-disclosure agreement um the answer is 2017 so only five years ago were businesses able to use uh their their monetary settlements for wrongdoings as tax deductions this one blew my mind but 2017 you know five years ago um, before five years ago, this was a perfectly legal practice. So after the Me Too movement, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act closed this loophole so employers could no longer call these settlements business expenses. Still, businesses can write off settlements in these cases, but only if they don't include a non-disclosure agreement, which whew, I, I, I'm going to not comment on that. Um, the next round here... The category is um, unions. So union membership peaked in 1954 at nearly 35% of all U.S. workers, excluding excluding the self-employed. So in 2018, the unionization rate moved to A, 30%, B, 18%, or C, 10%. Give you a second here. The answer is C, 10%. We went from 35% in 1964 to 10% of all workers in the U.S. in 2018. So according to Pew Research in 2012, union membership hit a low point before turning upward. The industry with the biggest decline in the rate of union representation after the year 2000 was transportation and material moving. So air traffic controllers, bus drivers, flight attendants, etc., and unionization rates have risen slightly in some sectors, including the legal sector. So the next question, in the category of self-employment, what percentage of U.S. workers are self-employed or employed by someone who's self-employed, according to the Pew Research Center? A, 30%, B, 15%, or C, 5%? The answer is a 30%. So almost a third of U.S. workers are actually self-employed. I was uh, surprised to, to find that out. Um, the next question is on age. So which generation is the largest in the U.S. labor workforce, labor force, according to the Pew Re- Research Center? So A, the silent generation, or we're lumping in the greatest generation um, with that. I believe they're they're separate, but... We'll say A, silent slash greatest, um, B, boomers, 
C, Gen Xers, D, Millennials, or E, Post Millennials? The answer is D, Millennials. So roughly a third of Americans in the labor force are Millennials, those ages 23 to 38 in 2019. In 2016, Millennials surpassed Gen Xers, who are ages who were ages 39 to 54 in 2019 to become the single largest generational group in the U.S. labor force compared with baby boomers. Gen Xers place as the dominant generation within the labor force was very short lived, just three years. It's interesting. I'm a Gen Xer, so I was fascinated to find that one out. Um, the next question, the wage gap, there's going to be some true or false, um, questions in here so um I actually said there were going to be 30 questions we're going to drop that down a little bit I think it's going to be around 27 or so but let's get right into this one so the wage gap American women earn 85 cents on the dollar compared to men um so true or false that gap still holds true among younger workers so the question kind of here is are we progressing with that um or uh, that's that's a more complicated question. There's more to this, but um, is it true or false that that gap still holds true among younger workers? Um, and that specific gap, I'm saying that 85 cent gap. The answer is false. In 2018, among workers ages 25 to 34, women's earnings were 89 percent. So this we're actually closing the gap with younger. Uh, workers um, were 89% those of men. This is according to the Pew Research Center. But evidence suggests that as women enter the, po- the responsibilities of parenthood, their earnings fall further behind same-aged male counterparts due in part to broader family caregiving responsibilities, differences in the industries and occupations in which women and men work, tend to work. Workplace gender discrimination and differences in experience. So we're still having pretty rigid uh, gender roles around the home. And that's affecting or in in child care. um, And that's affecting this this wage gap. Um, Another wage gap question. So true or false, the wage gap between young workers with college degrees and their less educated counterparts is the widest in decades. Is that true or false? The answer is true. Young college graduates are better off than their degreeless peers on many measures of economic well-being and career attainment, and more than in the past, according to the Pew Research Center. So their most recent analysis found that the median salary for college graduates ages 25 to 37 working full-time earned was about $24,700 more annually than employed young adults holding only a high school diploma. The pay gap was significantly smaller in previous generations. So it seems like there is some um, systemic classism growing rather than decreasing. Um, The next question is with the category of unemployment. So true or false, the higher someone's educational attainment is, the less likely they are to have a job. The answer here is false. 
The, the higher someone's educational attainment is, the more likely they are to have a job in July. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, only 2.2% of adults with a bachelor's degree or higher were unemployed versus 3.6% for adults with only a high school diploma and 5.1% for adults who didn't graduate from high school. So we're seeing more than double of an unemployment rate for um, people who don't have a high school diploma versus those who have a bachelor's degree or higher. Um, And the category of age, this one's an interesting one. True or false, more U.S. teens work today compared with earlier decades. Um, The answer here is false. A much smaller share of U.S. teens work today compared with earlier decades. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, teens spend about half the time doing paid work during the school year as teens in the mid-90s. They also work less during the summer, dropping from half of teens working at least part-time 20 years ago to about a third in 2017. Um, the next one is age. So true or false, more older Americans are working than in previous decades. The answer here is true. Almost 20% of U.S. adults Ages 30, uh, 65 plus reported being employed full or part-time, continuing a steady increase since at least the year 2000. Older workers represent 6.6% of all employed Americans, up from 3% in t- the year 2000. So we've more than doubled the number of 65 plus workers, uh, Americans working in the U.S. since the year 2000, the last 20 years. Um, the next category is minimum wage. So what percentage of Americans favor increasing the federal minimum wage from, of $7 and 25 cents an hour to $15, according to the Pew Research Center. And I just want to note, this is the federal minimum wage in, in many states they have with the fight for 15 campaign, they have increased that already to $15, but this is the federal minimum wage, which is at $7.25. So what percentage of Americans favor this increase to $15 an hour? Is it 93%? A, 93%, B, 67%, C, 36%, or D, 12%? The answer is B, 67%. And this part is probably not surprising, but there is a major divide between political parties. So 86% of Democrats favor the idea, while 43% of Republicans do. So in 2018, 2.1% of all hourly paid workers um, had wages at or below the current federal minimum wage, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So 29 States plus the District of Columbia and many cities and counties have set their own higher minimums, like I mentioned. But wide disparities in the cost of living in different parts of the country and even within individual states complicate this policy debate. So, um, yeah, the cost of living can have a um, an impact on what we think is um, should be a minimum living wage. Um, next in the category of workers' rights, true or false, discussing pay with colleagues is forbidden. This is actually false. 
As long as you're not revealing another person's salary, the National Labor Relations Act allows you to freely discuss your wages and working conditions with coworkers. Employers cannot require you to sign a confidentiality agreement or discipline you for telling your coworkers how much you make. And this is actually in an Adam Ruins Everything episode when he talks about work in that this idea this that we don't share our salaries and wages is actually designed to to help employers. It's not designed to help us because if we knew how much all of our coworkers were making or the ones who want to disclose it um, or all of them, actually, if we knew this information, we would have much more data on whether we're being discriminated against or, um, you know, what what you know, what we deserve in the market sort of thing. What, what, uh, how, how much we're being devalued, I should say, valued or devalued. It's often devalued. Um, so it is not forbidden to talk about our pay with, with colleagues or at least legally forbidden. Um, also in the area of pay, the next question, uh, is another true or false question. So, um, true or false, employers have to pay unimp- unapproved overtime. The answer here is actually true. The Fair Labor Standards Act says 40 hours per week is the maximum an hourly non-exempt employee can work before receiving overtime pay. You may need to get overtime pre-approved, but whether or not it's authorized, if you work more than 40 hours, your employer must pay you for your extra time at 1.5 times your regular hourly wage. The next question here is in the category of workers' rights. Again, a true or false question. Um, So true or false, you can't look at your employee file. The answer here is false. Most states allow you some access to your file if you have a legitimate business need to view it, such as when you're applying for another job and want to know what will come up in a reference check. You may be required to make the request in writing, pay for any copies, or view your file in the presence of a manager. Some states don't allow former employees access. Um, Most employees aren't allowed to see their records when they're related to an investigation, but the idea is that employees are responsible for their own professional reputation. And so um, we are allowed to look at our employee files in, you know, several circumstances. So the last question is in the category of workers' rights. And um, the it is a another true or false question. So true or false, employers must provide breaks. And the answer here is false. In 43 states, businesses are not required to let you take a break. But if your employer does give you breaks, you must be paid for that time, except for lunch breaks, according to the Fair Labor Standards Act. So there you have it. There's almost 30 questions on our basic rights as workers in the U.S. I hope this was Uh, educational. You can learn a lot more by going to endworkplaceabuse.com. And I promise we will have a lot more data in there about what's, what's being proposed in your own state and a way to take action around legislation that has been introduced. So you can ask your state legislators to support 
some of these uh, bills that are being proposed. Um, there's also some federal legislation being introduced. Uh, there's the PRO Act. There's the Be Heard Act. We're going to put all of that information onto that website. Um, and you can also help us work on that website. That website is fully volunteer run. Um, so all of the information that you find there is researched by volunteers. And if you have research background, or even if you don't, um, you are welcome to help us uh, do the, the research that's going to populate that map of the actions that people can take because we are in the process of investigating um, more on workers' rights in every state and what's out there um, in terms of legislation being proposed that you can take action on. So you can find out uh, some of the the rights that you don't have in your state. And oftentimes it's pretty surprising to think that um, in 2022, our employers are allowed to ask us to sign off, uh, sign away our rights, um, you know, have us sign gag clauses if we, you know, uh, get a settlement with them. There's all sorts of issues on there. Um, some interesting ones around wage disclosures and a, a lot of um a lot of these issues can be uh improved in our con in our culture um if we get um if we can get companies to publicly disclose some of the information about their employees well-being whether that's um, pay rates whether that's turnover rates um, absenteeism rates um just like they disclose information on their environmental impact, their human impact matters too. And I think it's going to matter more and more as we collectively speak up about these issues and use our collective power to fight for some of these um, issues. So there you have it. That is, um, that is my quiz for you today on workers' rights. Thank you for listening to Screw the Hierarchy. If you feel like you need more help, I have a free guide to recovery steps at dignitytogether.org targets and a sign up for daily boosts through your inbox at the same place. All of the content in this podcast was created and edited by yours truly, Deb Falzoy, and the music you heard is from Kevin McLeod. All right, have a wonderful rest of your week and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.